Welcome to the Penguin Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Penguin Podcast. This episode is devoted entirely to Well Penguin, our wonderful list of books that inspire healthy living, mentally, physically and spiritually. We've got brand new releases such as Sinjin Green's heartwarming memoir Mum's List, as well as the backlist of our favourite well-being titles such as A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. The aim of this podcast special is to get you ready for summer, so let Well Penguin give you a hand with some sound advice from a selection of our fantastic authors. First up, we have Danny Levy, author of The Pyramid Diet, with her top exercise tips for getting a great bikini body. She's followed by Venice A. Fulton, author of Six Weeks to OMG, who's got the nutrition side covered. Next, we have some spiritual help from Anna Hunt, author of The Shaman in Stilettos, who will be telling us how we can use shamanic wisdom to improve our emotional well-being. Lastly, we're targeting addictions with an extract from an audiobook edition of Alan Carr's The Easy Way to Stop Smoking. Once we're finished with you, you'll be toned, calm and cigarette-free. And that's before you go on holiday. So here's Danny Levy with her top bikini body tips. Hi guys, Danny Levy here, author of The Pyramid Diet. Here are my top tips for getting the ultimate beach body before summer this year. Tip number one, kickstart cardio. If you really want to get in tip shape for summer, you're going to need to put in some good old-fashioned cardio work. Now this may sound sweaty and time-consuming, but getting your heart rate up will speed up fat burning and water loss and put the final touches to your bikini body. You'll burn more fat than if you stay sedentary and help boost your confidence levels too. Power walking, cycling and jogging are all great ways to burn fat and shed the fast. Try to focus on the areas which bother you the most and choose your workout accordingly. So if for example your upper arms are larger than you'd like, try power walking with some light hand weights to offer some extra resistance. If it's your legs that you want to trim then why not take up cycling. Tip number two, get lifting girls. Now distance training or weight training will help you to build lean muscle specific areas of the body. When you increase the size of a specific muscle, it actually uses fat from directly around it to burn for energy. So for example, if you want to shape up the backs of your arms, working on the tricep muscles by performing push-ups or tricep extensions will ensure the body starts burning fat from that area and will replace this shapely lean muscle. Weights don't make you look bulky, girls. Remember that. Number three, Note your achievements. Now, it's really important to keep a training diary to help you to stay on track and to appreciate the progress you're making. Plan your workouts week by week and make a note of how far you're running or how many sit-ups you've done and give yourself a good pat on the back when you improve. That one extra rep each time could make all the difference over this period between now and summer. And if you're working hard, you need to reward yourself for it. Take a look in the mirror at the end of each week and focus on the areas you've improved. Be proud of this and once again, make a note. This will ensure you stay on track and never miss a session. Tip number four, find something you enjoy. Now, I always advise my personal training clients to find an activity they really enjoy and start from there. Whether that's cycling, running, horse riding, swimming or tennis, training doesn't have to be all about spending hours in the gym. And it's never too late to take up a new hobby 
And it's so important to have goals outside of work which really inspire and motivate you. Once you pluck up the courage to start learning a new physical skill, you'll meet new friends, start getting fitter and ultimately become a more confident and well-rounded individual. That was Danny Levy with some sound advice on achieving a toned tum. Now we have Venice A. Fulton, who's going to give us his top diet tips. Hi, I'm Venice A. Fulton, the guy behind Six Weeks to OMG, and here are six diet tips to help you get that OMG reaction when you strut down the beach or high street this summer. One, don't fall for innocent smoothies. I'm not talking about avoiding charming men, I'm talking about avoiding liquid sources of energy. When summer shows up, we all tend to increase the amount of calories that we drink, e.g. smoothies, fruit juices and, and of course alcohol. Now the speed at which calories hit the bloodstream is really important and there's nothing faster than liquids. Liquid calories bombard your bloodstream with way more energy than you could possibly use and the surplus will quite happily float around to bums, tums or thighs where it becomes body fat. So if you want to enjoy liquids, go for it, but have them with meals. Two, don't get too fruity. I'm talking about pieces of fruit. You might have a funky pair of flip-flops, but deep down, you're a cavewoman, and that means you're not supposed to have an endless supply of the juicy stuff. Fruits are high in fructose, aka fruit sugar, which in big doses interferes with fat burning. Keep fruit to three pieces a day and steer well clear of dried fruits, which have an especially high fructose level. Three, power up on protein. Summer is actually the time when your hair, skin and nails grow the fastest, and because they're all made from protein, you need more in your diet. If you tend to live on carbs, your body will just make you constantly overeat in an attempt to strike gold, i.e. find protein. So to get appetite on your side, give your body what it needs by making sure every meal has a decent chunk of protein in it. 4. Fatten up. Summer is often a time of dietary panic and most of us cut back on the fat in food. In fact, summer's a great time to embrace fat in food. The omega-3 fats found in walnuts, fish and flaxseed oil are especially good at helping your muscles absorb excess calories, but they'll just quickly get used up as fuel. So be smart and don't have fear of fats. 5. Stay hydrated naturally. Being dehydrated reduces your growth hormone output, and growth hormone is your body's master hormone which, amongst many great things, thickens the skin and reduces cellulite. So to keep your growth hormone high, you've got to keep hydrated. How much? I don't know. What I mean is, listen to your thirst. If you listen to that and respond quickly, you'll be fine. And finally, six, if you're going to veg out in the sun, eat your veg. Summer means sun, which is exactly what we need for vitamin D. Vitamin D is actually a hormone that gets made in the skin and it helps us lose body fat. But if we're in the sun too much, we get burnt. So to avoid that, eat veg. Its antioxidants will really protect your skin from UV damage. And brightly coloured veg is rich in beta-carotene, which studies show make your skin more attractive. So stock up on veg, you might even stock up on admirers. Now if you didn't understand anything I just said, hit play again, or if you like it slow, check out the book itself. I'm Venice A. Fulton, and I really, really hope you have an OMG summer to remember. That was Venice A. Fulton, with his top diet tips for a bikini-ready body. Next, we have an interview with Anna Hunt. Anna is a shaman who describes herself as a bridge between ancient, tried and tested shamanic techniques and the modern professional who is responsibility rich and time poor. Once a stressed out celebrity journalist, she burnt out, moved to Peru and found inner peace with the help of her mysterious and enigmatic shamanic teacher. Instead of spending your holiday trying and failing to unwind, why not get a head start now? So we have two Annas in the podcast room for you this morning. We have Anna Penguin, that's me, and I'm interviewing Anna Hunt. Hello, Anna. Hello. (laughs) Would you like to introduce your book to us? I'd love to. So The Shaman in Stilettos is my memoirs, 
Uh, it's out now, and it's the true story of my journey from 29-year-old Cambridge graduate interviewing celebrities for the Mail on Sunday and living the life in London to burning out, going to Peru and meeting a shaman, a medicine man, falling in love, studying with him, and bringing these 40,000-year-old healing traditions back to London. Today, as well as working as a journalist and an author, I'm also a shamanic consultant to a range of international clients. So can you explain to us what exactly a shaman is? Sure. A shaman is a man or woman of power who works with energy to shift physical, emotional or mental malaise problems in clients. When Einstein discovered his formula E equals MC squared, he was confirming what shamans have known for nigh on 40,000 years, namely that everything with form on the planet consists of energy or moving light. So it follows that our thoughts and feelings are moving light. And while we might ignore tricky feelings, uh, difficult emotions, they don't actually disappear. Um, anyone who's had a tension headache or butterflies in their tummy knows what I'm talking about. Shamans see this energy and they remove it using a range of techniques. So in the book, a uh, sense of place is very important, this um, stunning landscape of Peru. Do you find it's possible to achieve this same connection to nature and sort of, you know, tap into these healing properties when you're in the middle of somewhere like Piccadilly Circus? So the simple answer is no. Obviously, it's much easier to connect with nature and decompress uh, when you're in the countryside. But what we're blessed with in London are lots of parks. And if you're looking for the same results that one might find with a connection with nature. So for example, if you're watching a beautiful sunset, very often you can feel that kind of weight on your shoulder, work stress, family stress, God, I'm, you know, guilt around being, you know, a mum who's a mum and also has a full-time career, doesn't have enough time for their kids. That can just disappear. You become absorbed in the moment. Now, while we might not have the same opportunity in the centre of London, what you can do is to focus on your breath. Short but sweet, Inhale and exhale for seven breaths. Really connect with the present moment. Try and lengthen your inhale, lengthen your exhale a little bit. Um, if you're in the office, you might want to nip to the loo, just do it there. And you will find, particularly if you repeat this exercise, that you are able to achieve that same connection with yourself as you might have with nature. That kind of um, part of yourself, which is, I might say, more eternal than the mental chatter of my to-do list and then I've got to go out for supper with my new boyfriend or whatever it might be. So did you find it difficult when you returned from Peru to adapt back into the fast-paced London life? It certainly wasn't easy, um, but with practice, obviously I've been to Peru quite a few times now and I've come back to London as well, um, it has got easier and I think the journey of blending Peru and London actually is the point. Um, overcoming the um, disparity between those two worlds and the challenges of integrating the two of them is what has enabled me to actually, um, it's taught me how to work with clients, it's enabled me to both understand where my clients are at, relate to them, give them good advice and also be able to make these techniques accessible, meaningful, and work in our 21st century busy metropolitan lifestyle. But where did you actually write the book, and did you find it easy to recall all your experiences, particularly in the ceremonies, when you were writing it? 
Um, I wrote the book both in Peru and back here in London. Um, as I, you know, say in the book, obviously, um, I went to Peru initially for three months. Um, then I came back, and when I decided to go back to take up Maximo's offer of studying with him, Maximo being the shaman, um, an extremely good-looking one too, <laughs> um, I had to fund myself to do that. So I was working as a journalist and then writing the book a bit and then going to study, and while I was studying, I'd be writing and so on and so forth. Um, in terms of recalling experiences in ceremonies, I know we're going to come on to talking about plant ceremonies, but um, it's perfectly possible to remember everything you need to remember from each plant ceremony each evening. Um, I never found that a problem, and I would generally write up my journal the day after, um, and sometimes even directly after, uh, so that, that was never difficult. Um, I know a lot of people come to um, come to your workshops for for help with various various maladies and problems. I was wondering what the most common issues that people are trying to work through or trying to get um, healing for are. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I think you know Plato said man's a social animal, and I think probably the fundamental challenge that everyone comes with is a relationship issue, and that relationship might be personal might be with their kids, it might be with their partner, it might be with their new boyfriend, it might be with a friend or professional. New boss who they don't get on with. Um, person in the office who's playing a lot of politics and they just kind of feel that they're, they're not up to it. Um, those relationship issues um, will manifest in unhappiness, overwhelm. Um, obviously, if they're extreme, they can manifest in ill health. Um, so really, I work with my clients to identify the root causes of the problem and then to neutralise perceptual charges around those root causes. People tend to um, think the world's black and white, and that the people they encounter or the experiences they have fall into one of two categories, good or bad, likeable or disagreeable. And the truth is that every experience in life has two sides in the same way as each of us have two sides, both the positive and the negative. And helping people to come away from a one-sided one perception into a more balanced perception um, really can reap huge rewards regardless of, of the issue. So your healing techniques, are these ones that you've sort of developed yourself or have they all come from Maximo? So I, when I decided that I wanted to try and distill the essence of shamanism and, and bring it back to London um, and the West in a meaningful way, um, studied as well as with my shamanic teachers um, with a couple of other teachers, one a visualisation teacher um, visualization is kind of meditation for dummies but um, kind of also with knobs on as it were so as well as relaxing uh, it's a way of cutting through mental chatter to make decisions um, to gain insights about something when you you know you can't see the wood for the trees and I also studied a process called quantum collapsing which is a cutting-edge methodology that works with the principles of quantum physics and I combine those three broad speaking techniques to work with my clients and offer a bespoke experience so that I can meet them um, both where they're at in their lives and also where they, what their personality type is. Some people are very um, rational, want a very analytical program with me to cut through their challenges um, and other people are much more spiritual um, and might respond much better to visualisation or some of the shamanic techniques but I think the key is that I blend 
Um, how has your relationship with your mentor, Maximo Morales, developed since you returned? Are you still in touch with him? Is there any romance going on there at all? <laughs> Absolutely, I'm still in touch with him. I think, um, you know, one of the issues that um, people talk a lot about is the regulation of um, alternative therapies. And I can think of no better regulation than the commitment that I have made, um, which is that I see Maximo for at least a month every year to continue my studies and I speak to him once a month to talk through any issues I may have with clients. Um, my relationship with him is extremely intimate, um, it's extremely profound for me in my life and I'm sure that that relationship will continue until one or other of us passes. Um, in the book you have quite a few experiences with um, San Pedro <coughs> and Ayahuasca, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, yep, <laughs> and uh, obviously some people would say that these are, are, um, are drugs of various types, but um, how would you respond to that? What sort of drugs would you say they are? Well, I wouldn't describe them as drugs. Um, drugs are things people take in the West to lose themselves, to have a great time, good party, etc. Boost their confidence, make them more chilled out, whatever it might be. When you work with the plants, both ayahuasca and San Pedro are plants, um, that are cooked and prepared in a way that shamans learn from their mentor one-on-one. -on -one. When you work with the plants, you find yourself. So a plant ceremony um, is a way of doing um, acute and condensed personal therapy in a very short period of time. People have said it's the equivalent of doing eight years with a therapist in one night. You also become acutely aware of your surroundings because your senses, you become hyperconscious. You don't lose your consciousness, you become hyper-conscious. Um, the other point to make is that if you needed to do something during a plant ceremony, um, you needed to get up and you needed to go and make a meal for one of your kids, for example, or you needed to make a phone call, um, that would be perfectly possible. And it would be much easier for you than if you'd had a glass, one glass too many. Um, in the shamanic tradition, ayahuasca and San Pedro are viewed as entheogens, gateways to the divine. That's the divine within ourselves. They're tools, healing tools, which enable us to find inner peace. Um, and I prefer to view them as entheogens as opposed to hallucinogens. Well, my final question is, um, if, if a reader were to take one thing from this book, what do you think that, that thing should be? I think really know your own strength. You can achieve what you dream of if you really set your mind to it and I think um, particularly in the West we are constrained by a lot of fear um, you know I can't do that it's financially irresponsible or I won't be able to make that happen it's too risky I'm letting people down so on and so forth um, but actually humans are infinitely capable and infinitely powerful um, and I, I hope that my book The Shaman Stilettos inspires people to realise that about themselves I did it you can do it as well in whatever field, um, whatever area of life um, is of particular importance or um, draw to you. Okay, thank you very much, Anna Hunt, for coming in to chat to us. The Shaman Stettos is out now. Thanks very much for having me. Great talking to you. That was Anna Hunt, author of The Shaman and Stilettos, which is out in paperback now. There's nothing that ruins the fresh summer air more than a smoky nicotine puff. So why not start your holiday as you mean to go on and rid your life of addiction? The only thing you'll be leaning on is a deck chair by the time Alan Carr is through with you. Perhaps you are somewhat apprehensive about listening to this programme. Perhaps, like the majority of smokers, the mere thought of stopping fills you with panic. And although you have every intention of stopping one day, it is not today. 
If you're expecting me to inform you of the terrible health risks that smokers run, that smokers spend a small fortune during their smoking lives, that it is a filthy, disgusting habit, and that you are a stupid, spineless, weak-willed jellyfish, then I must disappoint you. Those tactics never helped me to quit, and if they were going to help you, you would already have quit. My method, which I shall refer to as easy way, doesn't work that way. Some of the things that I'm about to say you might find difficult to believe. However, by the time you've finished listening, you'll not only believe them, but wonder how you could ever have been brainwashed into believing otherwise. There is a common misapprehension that we choose to smoke. Smokers no more choose to smoke than alcoholics choose to become alcoholics, or heroin addicts choose to become heroin addicts. It is true that we choose to light those first experimental cigarettes. I occasionally choose to go to the cinema, but I certainly didn't choose to spend my whole life in a cinema. Please, reflect on your life. Did you ever make the positive decision that at certain times in your life you couldn't enjoy a meal or a social occasion without smoking, or that you couldn't concentrate or handle stress without a cigarette? At what stage did you decide that you needed cigarettes, not just for social occasions, but that you needed to have them permanently in your presence, and felt insecure, even panic-stricken without them? Like every other smoker, you have been lured into the most sinister, subtle trap that man and nature have combined to devise. There is not a parent on this planet, whether they be smoker or non-smoker, that likes the thought of their children smoking. This means that all smokers wish they had never started. Not surprising, really. No one needs cigarettes to enjoy meals or cope with stress before they get hooked. At the same time, all smokers wish to continue to smoke. After all, no one forces us to light up, whether we understand the reason or not. It is only smokers themselves that decide to light up. If there were a magic button that smokers could press to wake up the following morning, as if they'd never lit that first cigarette. The only smokers there would be tomorrow morning would be the youngsters who are still at the experimental stage. The only thing that prevents us from quitting is fear. Fear that we will have to survive an indeterminate period of misery, deprivation and unsatisfied craving in order to be free. Fear that a meal or social occasion will never be quite as enjoyable without a cigarette. Fear that we'll never be able to concentrate, handle stress, or be as confident without our little crutch. Fear that our personality and character will change. But most of all, the fear of, once a smoker, always a smoker. That we will never be completely free and spend the rest of our lives at odd times craving the occasional cigarette. If, as I did, you've already tried all the conventional ways to quit, and been through the misery of what I describe as the willpower method of stopping, you will not only be affected by that fear, but convinced you can never quit. If you are apprehensive, panic-stricken, or feel that the time is not right for you to give up, then let me assure you that your apprehension or panic is caused by fear. That fear is not relieved by cigarettes, but created by them. You didn't decide to fall into the nicotine trap, but like all traps, it's designed to ensure that you remain trapped. Ask yourself, when you lit those first experimental cigarettes, did you decide to remain a smoker as long as you have? So, when are you going to quit? Tomorrow? Next year? Stop kidding yourself. 
the trap is designed to hold you for life. Why else do you think all these other smokers don't quit before it kills them? The book of this program was first published by Penguin 20 years ago and has been a bestseller every year since then. I now have 20 years' feedback. As you will soon hear, the feedback has revealed information that has exceeded my wildest aspirations of the effectiveness of my method. It has also revealed two aspects of Easy Way that have caused me concern. The second I will be covering later. The first arose from the letters that I have received. I give three typical examples. I didn't believe the claims you made, and I apologise for doubting you. It was just as easy and enjoyable as you said it would be. I've given copies of your book to all my smoking friends and relatives, but I can't understand why they don't read it. I was given your book eight years ago by an ex-smoking friend. I've just got round to reading it. My only regret is that I wasted eight years. I've just finished reading Easy Way. I know it has only been four days, but I feel so great. I know I'll never need to smoke again. I first started to read your book five years ago, got halfway through and panicked. I knew that if I went on reading, I would have to stop. Wasn't I silly? No, that particular young lady wasn't silly. I've referred to a magic button. Easy Way works just like that magic button. Let me make it quite clear. Easy Way isn't magic. But for me and the hundreds of thousands of ex-smokers who found it so easy and enjoyable to quit, it seems like magic. This is the warning. We have a chicken and egg situation. Every smoker wants to quit, and every smoker can find it easy and enjoyable to quit. It's only fear that prevents smokers from trying to quit. The greatest gain is to be rid of that fear. But you won't be free of that fear until you complete this programme. On the contrary, like the lady in the third example, that fear might increase as you listen, and this might prevent you from finishing it. You didn't decide to fall into the trap, but be clear in your mind you won't escape from it unless you make a positive decision to do so. You might already be straining at the leash to quit. On the other hand, you might be apprehensive. Either way, please bear in mind, you have absolutely nothing to lose. If at the end of this programme you decide that you wish to continue to smoke, there is nothing to prevent you from doing so. You don't even have to cut down or stop smoking while you're listening. And remember, there is no shock treatment. On the contrary, I have only good news for you. Can you imagine how the Count of Monte Cristo felt when he finally escaped from that prison? That's how I felt when I escaped from the nicotine trap. That's how the millions of ex-smokers who have used my method feel. By the end of this programme, that's how you will feel. Go for it. That was an extract from the audiobook edition of Alan Carr's The Easy Way to Stop Smoking. And that's it from the Well Penguin podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Become part of our Facebook community to find out more about what our list can offer you. If you have any comments or suggestions about the podcast in general, we'd really like to hear them. You can email us at podcast at uk.penguingroup.com or if you'd rather tweet us, we're at Penguin Podcast. You've been listening to the Penguin Podcast.